Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game is About Glory, where we are going to take a look back on what just happened at the new White Hart Lane, aka Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where Tottenham Hotspur scored four goals to Crystal Palace's one. Happy, happy days for all of us. You're in for a treat. We're in good moods. It's going to be a good vibe tonight. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and before we get into it we'd like to remind you to please make sure you're subscribed to the game is about glory via your favorite pod platforms and be sure to tell the world you love us and hinge on our every word with a five-star review now let's meet tonight's team and i'll be asking each of them a question we can all enjoy answering i think in our own way if spurs were a rock band who would they be ricky you get the first serve how are you mate all right mate glad to be back for the third time this week Excellent. Good to hear you. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> well, go on then. Who is it? My band, my rock band, the Libertines. I've gone, Ooh. and the reason I've gone for them is because Spurs really are conduit to me being a bit of a libertine, a bit of escapism, a <laughs> bit of headism, you know, sort of breaking the rules and devoid of any morals, and also giving me, they give me. Plenty of unbridled sensual pleasure, I'd say. So, um, the hell, party at party at your house later, it mate. It's be. a little bit of a confession there, I think. So. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. And of course, the you know, last two seasons have been a bit of a shambles, and that. So you can say <laughs> baby shambles. Boom, kiss oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, Luton. That's Luton. How are you, mate? But you can hear you got some standards to live up to there. Come on. I think if Spurs were a rock band for me, it'd be Radiohead. I started supporting in 91 and I suffered and there were some moments and stuff. And if I, if something summed them up, the hard times, it's Radiohead when I listen to them. So that's my band, one of my favourite bands ever. And they are as sobering as my football team. <laughs> Milo, I expect nothing but the best of answers from you being the massive <laughs> music fan you are and DJ folks. Uh, what you probably don't know is that Milo has a deep past in, in <clears throat> electronic music and DJing, even though he's a, uh, He's not going to admit it on air, but fire away, mate. Now I've set you up. <laughs> so I'd like us to be the Wu-Tang Clan, but we're not. And I, I definitely think we ought to get rid of our, the music we come out to the pitch to and bring the ruckus, or definitely after we score goals in an empty stadium, bring the ruckus would be just the business. But that's not who I think we are. And I'm not going to go for a rock band either. I, I think we're the KLF, and this is based on our transfer activity and watch the KLF burn a million quid. I will have to actually agree with you. I think if anyone here has had the pleasure of enjoying the KLF's Chill Out record, which is probably one of the greatest ambient records of all time, if you listen to that in its entirety, it does describe our mental state when we uh, defend. Right. <laughs> Spurs and Chill Out are two words that I've never put together, to be honest with you, Steph. But, no, but of course, you, know, you know what I'm but, saying there, right? I mean, that ambient... But, defending yeah. space we kind and, of turn and react late and it's like it's and of course we are the justified ancients of moo as well aren't we so <laughs> can, can i just say though if you if you think you're going to find levy burning a million quid i think you'd be sadly disappointed <laughs> <laughs> very good yeah the thfc klf and their latest album the cheese room yeah well we will burn a pound note. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I think for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. Uh, I, I, for me, we're Guns and Roses. You know, we've had 
glorious moments of, of greatness and we've had some epic moments of just disaster and failure in there uh but it's it's always a roller coaster ride you never quite know what you're going to get but we're still one of the biggest clubs in for my money international world football and we're always going to be a draw for everyone so i'm going with guns and roses so on from that that was, that was a good one that i enjoyed that this week uh let's go let's go to something that i think we all enjoyed probably even more which is uh the performance against crystal palace i mean get in there i mean you know, I was punching the air and delighted and I even felt optimistic at half time. And and that's I'd like to start there if I could actually, uh, Luton, with you at half time. Were you still feeling positive given that first half performance, conceding a goal right on the stroke of half time? How were you feeling? For once, and actually it's been growing over the last few weeks, I was confident we were going to win the game at half time. I mean, we conceded one. We had enough chances. We were creating um a certain player looked incredibly sharp. So at halftime, I was pretty comfortable. I, I thought we'd be okay. Um, I, I knew we had people on the bench who could change the game, particularly in Tangai and that Deli Ali coming on and the Mela being there as well. So the fire, firepower and depth was there on the bench. Um, the coach seems to be making good decisions. It meant we wouldn't sit back when we came when we came back on and we did go for it. And the second half was unbelievable. The only big question I have in my head is, is Sun going through a rough patch or is, is he being impacted by the emergence of Gareth Bale? And positionally, is that making him not a passenger, but is it more difficult for him to get involved? Yeah, I, I think the Sun's poor form kind of predates um, Bale coming back into the side. So I, th- I thought last weekend against Burnley, I thought Sun had a very good game, actually, but maybe less so against Fulham and, and today. But we, he's always been a streaky player. We know that. And if if he's streaky now and, he, and uh, he finds form next weekend, then I'm fine with that. Ricky, I've got to say, I mean, sticking with Sun for a moment, I heard that he started every single Premiership game this season. So he's played probably a lot more football for us at this point of the season than he usually does. You know, do you yeah. think that's had any impact on on what's going on with him? No, I agree with Milo. Really, I mean, he is a bit streaky. I mean, he's, he's since Bale's come in, he's the less eye catching of the three, but he's still assisting. And the other thing that I've noticed a little bit with him is if Davis is playing behind him, he very much stays out on the left. When when Reggie plays, he's going to be forcing him inside a bit more because Reggie's going to be coming up strong on that left hand side. So maybe he can get in the mix more because Bale definitely is getting in the mix more from the right hand side and coming in and interchanging more. And although I think Song can deliver from the left, I think if you could just get him nearer to the goal, he's obviously a great goal scorer. And that will come back. I, think, so. I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think he's still he's still providing some really, really good stuff out there, albeit his uh, his target is a little off, but his, uh, his shooting range or whatever. But that's OK. I, I agree with you. But uh, Milo, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Harry Winks today. Uh, you know, this is a player who has been knocked from pillar to post in the last couple of years. I think we were discussing in the chat, unfairly so. Was today the first time we feel he's played in a position that suits him uh, for a long time? Mourinho's used him as um, as cover for Ndombele a few times, and it's a slightly different role to his played before. But I think he's adapted to it quite well. And um, I was we were saying during the game, you know, his natural instinct is to stand off a player and try and shepherd them away from danger. And Mourinho's got him closing down pe- people, which is something that he hasn't really done before. But I think I think as a cover for Ndombele. I think he's done okay. He obviously got a lot of criticism for the Everton game. And I think that was a bit different in that it was a really frantic game. He came on quite late and I think he'd struggled to adjust to the pace of the game. Whereas, you know, from the start, I think I think normally he's you know, he's pretty steady. I think one of the comments I made to you, Steph, before the game is that I think Winks is quite often criticised for what he isn't rather than appreciated for what he brings to the team. 
he's a really good technical player. He's good at receiving the ball from defence or from a goalkeeper, turning and playing a ball forwards. He's really good at recycling the ball and holding possession. You know, he's probably one of those players who does the pass before the key pass rather than the key pass most of the time. But there's room for that within a squad. Yeah, I, I like Winks. I was I was pleased with how he played today. I think him coming off was just to shore up and see the game out rather than you know, a criticism of his performance and probably just to give Sissoko some minutes, I assume, before starting on, on Thursday. Yeah, before I go to you, Luton, I want to point out, um, it's actually to back up a point that Ricky was making and that I was agreeing with. Gareth, who's uh, in the lounge this evening, uh, supplying some uh, assists from the from the bench in terms of stats, has pointed out that Sonny has had seven assists since and including Everton away on February 10th, but mm. only two Premier League goals in the last 12 games. So it does pretty much bear out. He's still a very important part of what we're doing, albeit it's maybe nice for him to have the pressure lifted off him a little bit in the scoring mm. sense. But back to the whole idea of Winks and him having this, you know, more progressive game in a possibly more progressive role. And, you know, uh, Luton, let's talk about the movement of, of those front players and how much it allows the likes of Winks to to be more progressive when they do get the ball. I think Winks is, with the teams we've played recently and teams like Palace who sit off, Winks has a lot of freedom there. And Bale, Kane, Son and Mora at the moment, they're a handful for any defence. So, Still, what he does is technically difficult and he is a technically gifted player. There's no doubt about it. He he just doesn't do it traditionally. In, he's not superly physical um, and he isn't necessarily a dribbler, but he does manage the game in his own way. So as a ball manager and somebody who keeps moving that ball, I think he does a job against a team like this. I think the Everton game was one-off. I don't think Winks had crazy performances like that very often. And fans are arseholes. You know, they get on the back of players, especially young players who are Tottenham through and through. Yeah, I think he had... Bad game. So to cut in, but because one of the things that I noticed about today was every time he got the ball in that deep position, and let's you know, and as we've already ascertained, he was playing the Ndombele role. But how? What a pleasure to look up and see the likes of Bale just just tearing away, the likes of Reguilon pushing up. You've got Kane dropping in deep, dragging centre halves with him. You've got Mora going. I mean, it just gives a player like Winks who does, I think, want to be progressive, but also wants to protect the ball so much more to work with, right? be honest with Winks, I didn't envisage when he was like a younger player that he would turn out or he would be, he'd have to play the roles that he played now. And I'd assume that the academy coaches probably didn't think that either. We all kind of thought he was maybe a Modric type player, obviously not at that mm. level, I'm not saying that. But that's the kind of, he'd play that more progressive kind of eight role. And much to his, much to his own kind of downfall, well not downfall, but he's, he's been commissioned to play other roles within the team. And the years have ticked by and the years have ticked by and he's kind of embraced those roles because I think he's Tottenham through and through, obviously, and he wants to play for this club. And I suppose he is slightly fearful that if he has to move on, it might it's not going to be maybe to another top six club. So, or it might be, I suppose City were interested in him. But overall, I'm just, I worry for him. One, because if, if I put my pragmatic head on, I can see us selling him. One, because I think there's value there. And two, Skip will come back. And I could see, I mean, if he's playing the same kind of role that he's been asked to play in the last few seasons, I can see even someone like Harvey White developing into being able to play that role just as well as him as well, really. So, and that's obviously, as I say, including Skip being ahead of him as well if he comes back. So, and, but I'll never hate on Winks, never. There's been a lot of um, stories linking him with a move to Spain. I think he's got um, he's got Sp- a Spanish uh, family, hasn't he? I'm not oh, one he? of his parents, grandparents. I'm not sure, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's, there's I, and I don't know whether the stories are just because he's part Spanish. I don't know whether it's just that and people mm-hmm. are putting it together, 
or whether there's genuine interest. But I would imagine that's a league that he could do very well in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's 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 just say he did well. He did well today. He did well. He, he had a good game. And uh, let's remain on the positive with him there for the time being. Albeit, I do think you make some very good points. I think you know wider thought he could very well end up going somewhere. But I I just have to note again that uh, the voice from the lounge, uh, which will probably convince you that you probably shouldn't be bringing your car to me for any sort of servicing or repairs, is that uh, the fourth goal tonight was our hundredth of the season. Uh, and uh, Gareth has very glibly written the word handbrake with two question marks. We can't ignore the fact that, again, you know, we've got a consistent uh, centre-back pairing. You know, we, we, these are his chosen centre-backs. Uh, I, I, my question, and I'll throw it to the floor, is he going to flog these players week after week, game after game? Is he going to just bank on the fact, OK, you know, there's a lot more front foot football going on, so perhaps there's been a little less defending to do, so maybe they can, they've got the stamina for it? Or is he going to rotate? And if so, how? Because it seems that Sanchez and Alderweireld have, have, have sort of nailed, nailed the shirts for the rest of the season. I think it's a good pairing at the moment, and Jose won't stop playing them for games in the Premier League and games in the Europa League where he's worried um, about matches where he's not just playing stuff. So I see midweek being hopefully dear and some maybe Tangang go maybe somebody else sorry Luton who Eric Dyer <laughs> <laughs> I did it again um, but yeah no <clears throat> they're doing well though. I think the main oh, Derek, Derek, Derek Meyer again Derek, Derek Meyer oh so, dear so look I'm trying to th- look for things to be miserable about about our team <laughs> good at the moment. Um, but they, they play Sanchez especially because I remember when he came and he had a good season and he'd been I think he's a confidence player. I don't think technical ability is his issue. And I think decision-making is a huge, huge part of what he's doing. And whether they've done some work with him over the last few months on decision-making and the coaches have really been at him. But I think the last few games have seen some good stuff with him when it comes to making those really important final decisions. I think with Sanchez, his best games have come alongside a more experienced partner. So he was excellent alongside uh, Vertonghen when Pochettino lost faith in Alderweireld or they had the falling out. And, you know, that's probably Sanchez's best form. And and I don't think it's any accident that he's playing well alongside Alderweireld now, who's you know an excellent reader of the game and, and, and a good player. I think one thing we need to remember about Sanchez, he's only 24, which for a centre-back is really young. And, you know, if, if we were signing a, a 24-year-old centre-back from overseas, we'd probably be saying, be patient and uh, you know expect them you know to have a season or two to find their feet. I think I was as guilty as anyone of probably writing him off earlier in the season, but maybe he just needs the right partner and uh, and some time. I think the other factor here, which is very important, is that someone and I, I mean, it has you have to credit the manager here for doing this and the, and the coaching staff, I'm sure, has finally convinced Toby that being the senior centre back at the club, he needs to be the player who takes the left side of uh, the side. I mean, the only other thing I'd say about Toby is I was surprised he played today because I think Jose he has been quite vocal about him just not being able to play a run of games or something or in other words not wanting to risk that because if Toby does go down injured then we are a bit like screwed really the lovely long passes um they're starting to disappear and over the last few games even against teams who've stacked the middle against us uh, whatever we really aren't hoofing it up as much um it's noticeable too we are trying to keep the ball there was a period I think at the start of the second half where it was just back and forth between Toby and Sanchez and across the back four for a period of about I think a minute and 40 seconds, which is a long time, just back, forth, back, forth. And eventually we went on and scored a couple of quick goals. But um, there's a real shift in 
in strategy, in our offensive play or our play in possession, that we aren't going for that longer ball as often. And what's driven that is going to be interesting if we ever find out. But something's changed there. But is that me noticing it? Or is, it is that really ostensible? No, I think that there's I think there's two things that have affected it. I think, first of all, uh, Harry Kane was dropping deep to pick up the ball and try and make the play connecting, uh, play connection rather. And that became very easy for teams to suss out. But when you suddenly have a, a, an inform world-class player in the side as well, doing the same kind of thing, dropping in picking up and just able to ping mm. a 30 yard pass with accuracy I mean we were talking about Gareth Bale uh, a little earlier and we were agreeing did he did he play a bad pass today every pass with the weight of those passes is amazing I think I think it encourages you to not have to play that long ball all the time it makes it more of a choice rather than a go-to I mean for me that's been the very clear difference and I mean if I can throw you know the b word open to the floor I mean is you know is there anything left to say about him in the last in the last few weeks what what can we add it's just sex on a pitch at the moment it's wonderful I mean he's got such and this goes back to earlier conversations where Milo really wanted Bale to start I think it was a midweek game and he was really insistent and he didn't start and we talked about how his football intelligence allows him to be a number nine even playing on the left today he's not stripping players for pace anymore he has a wonderful left foot and he has an incredible Mm. football brain he really does have an affinity and a connection to how to play football and it we're yeah. so lucky to have him as he is at the moment. And I, I, I don't know if it's fitness because it doesn't seem like that. It just seems like he's found his rhythm. I think he was a fit, mm-hmm. fit boy, but he's found his rhythm on the pitch again. And it's, we're so lucky to have him. It's good. I think there's a, a slight difference between kind of physical fitness and match fitness. And I don't know, you know, and, and again, mental fitness, maybe, you know, he had a tough time at Madrid and it went on for you know a year and a half, two years. And that's quite a long time to be you know, to not be playing regularly. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it's also, you know, it's a really, really intense place as well. So that, I think, you know, Madrid has, has broken bigger people than, you know, bigger players than, than Bale. So I, I think we can't underestimate that. I think um, him and Kane, I mean, Kane's an intelligent player as well, but they're forming a really good partnership now and they're, they're making the right runs for each other. So the the headed goal where where Kane forced his way to the back post and headed across for, for Bale, I think without Bale in the side, it's difficult to see that goal being scored and and they're reading each other. So so you're seeing the reverse of that where Bale will make that run and Kane will go to the middle and you're seeing that a lot and mm. also dropping deep, you know, <laughs> But Bale's passing and and uh, from deep is is is, is Kane esque. You know, it's almost like having another Harry Kane on the pitch. So I've always think Bale said that he's he's just learnt the game so well over all the years, and he looks so graceful. He just moves the ball. He's in complete control of the ball all the time. He can just shift it. Like when he took in the first half before he crossed it, when he just shimmied between those two players, it just looked effortless basically. And as um, Luton says, he has got a wonderful left foot and that. The accuracy is just unerring really. And I agree with Milo. The combination is coming together with Kane. And of course, that's without throwing Sonny into the mix. And even Delhi, if he comes into the mix, which he did in the Fulham game. And of course, that fourth man, Moore and Lamella have both stepped up to the plate when it comes to industry and even some creation. It's not like they're just running around. They're creating stuff as well. Moore is a real live wire at the moment. He, he does run around a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 was, I was about to say, before you said him, I was about to say, you know, the person we're ignoring here is Moore. And uh, he, I thought he had an excellent game today. He worked really hard. The closing down for... It was the first goal, wasn't it, uh, where he got the turnover and in possession and, and played the ball forwards. was was excellent. I thought he had a really good game. And I think when we're playing 
we've got Bale and Son and Kane in the team. You need someone who's going to do the dirty work. And that's where Mora or Lamella come in. And it's it's a great option to have. I was just about to say, as I said on the as I said on the pod last week, just to think of those three names in our team is just mm. unbelievable, really. And and for Mourinho to have that and to hopefully use it, I mean, like some of the other commentators have said, you know, there is a chance. There's always a chance we're just going to outscore teams if you have to. If the rest can be solid, we can just mm. outscore teams. They're all deadly accurate. No team has that. What teams have that? Going back to the Lucas point for a minute, I, I agree. I thought he had another fine performance for us, but by the metric of fair criticism, we do have to say he was, you know, uh, somewhat responsible for the equaliser. I mean, he he missed a perfectly good and simple opportunity to play in. I think it was Sonny who was racing up the outside on his right hand side, right on the stroke of half time, and gave away very cheap possession there with a with a really really poor attempt to thread the ball through the middle. So there's still those moments mm. where he doesn't make the right decision but by and large that would be very harsh and I agree he did have a good game but I'll tell you the player look Reggie had a great game today Doherty played well all to, you know for, for, I thought he did pretty well all told again a little soft defending but the player we're really taking for granted um, and this will be the penultimate point I want to raise with you is Harry Kane I think I put some I think I said in the chat at some point because he played a couple of sort of less than 100% accurate passes up to that point I think I put Kane's looking a bit rusty and uh couple of us were saying yeah he looked a bit tired like you know he looked tired midweek so on and before you know it you know he's ended the game with two assists with two goals one of which is an absolute contender for goal of the season he's taken centre-backs to parts of of White Hart Lane that I don't think they knew existed I mean he's just been absolutely superlative again how much do we take this man for granted I don't. He's fucking glorious. I mean, what he did today, the way he hit that ball and the analyze and the shape of his body is unbelievable. And his football intelligence, we talked about Gareth Bale. Harry Kane is, is he the leading assist maker in the Premier League this season or is he up there? I assume he is. Um, as, as somebody who's a striker and scoring goals, what he's doing, um, Chris Coleman was really, really nicely complimentary about Harry Kane. He said this, he can do everything and he's an unbelievable player and he's so, so good. But I can't stop taking for granted because the, the fear I have is he's, he's going to walk away one summer if we continue not winning the trophies and um, that'd be a difficult day because as much as we think he's Tottenham through and through god there's going to be some okay okay let's let's him. let's I've got to cut you off there let's we're going to keep happy let's not go too far forward down the path of what might happen it's it's all good goal of the season contender Ricky yeah definitely goal of the season contender no he has he has missed a few chances recently but um, what I would say is is with the rise of Bale and I thought after he scored that brace today I thought when 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 Kane scored that scream, it was almost saying, "Look, look, mate, I'm top dog here, not you." <laughs> By just burying, like as you say, a goal of the, goal of the season contender, it was just a glorious finish. It's it just Kane all over, and he and he and he does that so often. He sometimes thinks he's in a little dip, and he'll just then have a game where you just think, "No, Kane is just mustard." Basically, I have to say, I think I am personally guilty of taking him for granted sometimes because I do just expect you know in human levels of performance from him I mean just like you know and if they dip to like 98% or 95 I'm like oh he's looking a bit rusty so uh, I, I have to say uh, I think I might owe him an apology sorry for taking you for granted Harry but you are just so brilliant and I am just going to become a fawning uh, acolyte at this moment uh, that you know it's so, so glorious to see you just belt one of those 
worldies into the corner again. It just gave me such joy. It's like as nothing, you know, it was it's just such a great sight. Anyway, I'll not trip over my positivity too much more. Let's bring this section to a close. Um, we're going to do our closing thoughts. Uh, one positive, one negative in 30 seconds. Milo, I'm going to start with you. One positive, one negative, three, two, one, go. So my positive was that Bale and Kane got taken off. We got the job done. They got taken off. They got a rest. And hopefully neither of them play on Thursday. So I thought that was good. Good to see us managing their fitness. And, you know, we need both of them playing like that next Sunday. So that's my positive. My negative... I suppose just switching off at the end of the first half. I thought we had a really, really good first half, and it was probably the first, you know, first major mistake we'd made, and we got punished for it. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Mora. You know, Doherty was a bit slow to go out and close down his man. There was a few errors in the in the lead up to that goal. And if any one of those people had been a bit, little bit more switched on, the goal doesn't get scored. Okay, Luton positives were the rotations. Um, so Winks coming in, Doherty coming in. Um, players getting minutes, uh, Mura getting some more minutes, and then Lamella and Sissoko getting on the pitch. So the squad getting minutes in, meaning guys are match fit, people who need to be rested, as was just mentioned by Milo. The negative, there weren't many today for me, other than the one that's already mentioned. Nothing. It was it was almost perfect performance. Our goal difference is now what third highest in the league. We're above Liverpool with the game in hand. Shit is good, man. Things are good. Ricky. Um, similar to Milo, really. I was, was disappointed at the end of that first half because we kind of we had kind of just taking the game to them and dominated. Um, and it was, I don't know if it was a bad goal to concede. I mean, the cross was pretty good. And I think Toby in the middle was just simply a mismatch, basically, with Benteke. Could have got his body in a better position, but it was a bit of a mismatch. But then the positive leads on from that, because the other thing that worried me at halftime was then Sahar came on. And I thought, oh my God, Slot can come on, Sahar can come on. And maybe that gave them confidence. And it was just great that within 10 minutes, we killed them off. Because in other weeks, we've been a bit jittery when someone scored. And we just took command. And then after that, as I say, it gave a chance to take people off and that kind of thing. And four goals for the last three games, I think, isn't it? That's a positive, yeah. massive positive. Do you, do you know what's happening now? When I'm doing these show notes, and Steph and I write the note, you wouldn't know this to listen to this, but this is actually planned. And um, when Steph and I are doing the show notes, I just put four, four next to our name before we even before the game's even kicked off. Oh, if, if that's what happens for the North, North London derby, then yeah, and, and the League Cup final never be allowed to stop. <laughs> I'm going to keep I'm going to say I'm going to jump in quickly and just say positives are very similar to everyone else's and I think probably every Spurs supporter's positives today are pretty obvious my special personal positive was I really felt at half time it was important for us to show that the previous few weeks have have meant something and that you know we would go in at half time and rather than panic and as you said Ricky be jittery at the beginning of the second half we would come out open up our legs and show our class. And that is exactly what we did. And boy, oh boy, did we. And so I am actually not going to, I'm not going to dwell on any negatives this week. Instead, I'm going to move just to look back at what happened with some of our rivals this week, but we're going to do something a little different. Uh, It's been a little bit of a chit chat around here about who's got sort of the, the radio voice, you know, we've been having a bit of fun with that as this pod's been coming together. And uh, we've all realised that for those of us who are old enough to remember the great Radio 1 announcer, James Alexander Gordon, who used to do a wonderful job reading the football results. It was It's a staple, right, isn't it? At five o'clock, five past five, you've got your transistor radio glued into your ear and so on. You're listening as you're shuffling away from the ground. So we're going to try and reenact that moment with the premiership results from this weekend. Uh, and our very own James Alexander Gordon, a.k.a. Milo, is going to read them. So for those of you who want to pretend you're shuffling back in the cold to your car or your public transport, we hand you Milo reading this weekend's premiership scores. Burnley won. 
Arsenal, 1. Sheffield United, 0. Southampton, 2. Aston Villa, 0. Wolverhampton Wanderers, 0. Brighton and Hove Albion, 1. Leicester City, 2. West Bromwich Albion, 0. Newcastle United, 0. Liverpool, 0. Fulham, 1. Manchester City, 0. Manchester United, 2. Tottenham Hotspur, 4. Crystal Palace, 1. That's just brilliant. I just... Fantastic! You're you're hired. We have to do this every week now. I'm sorry. You're, <laughs> even even if you're not on, you're going to have to show up and do this because I closed my eyes and I could feel the pissing rain and uh, you know the wet foot as I stepped into a puddle and and all that business making my way. To I, <laughs> uh, I, I, when I was doing that, I was thinking back to being at the Reading, Reading Festival and John Peel reading them out on the on the main stage in between bands. So, uh, so uh, I, I wish I had John Peel's radio voice. Yeah. Well. Quite some of us. Well, I think we all wish on this pod that we'd had John Peel's ears and career. What a what a legend John Peel was. But uh, but uh, so heading back, we still got one more fixture left. Uh, two more fixtures. Sorry, this week. Uh, Chelsea take on Everton, which is uh, uh, you know going to have massive implications for us. Uh, and West Ham United take on Leeds. And we've gone up to sixth. We're two points off Chelsea in fourth. We're ahead of West Ham on goal difference, having played a game more, so somewhat normal service has been re- uh, resumed there. We're one point behind Everton in fifth, having played a game more. Uh, you know, how are our top four prospects looking? Pretty good. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, our competitors, have, they're all playing each other a lot. So, you know, we're, we've got to play Everton, which is a, is a really big one. But we don't have too many more of the the other clubs, whereas they, they've all got to play each other. They've, they've definitely got a tougher run in than us. What we've been doing lately against teams that we should be beating, so sort of more mid-table type sides like um, Crystal Palace and Fulham, is, is winning those games, last few games anyway. So you can look at that run in and think, OK, at the moment, our form can give us some confidence. And yeah, there are some tough, tough fixtures for the other guys there. So we're we're back in it. And I didn't think it happened. And that's an amazing feeling. We really are back in in the top four race. It could go wrong. But at the moment, it, it feels good. Earlier in the week, we played Fulham and uh, got a really good little one nil win at Craven Cottage, which uh, yeah, we all had to suffer. Probably one of the worst camera angles uh, we've endured at a premiership club. Uh, it was a really terrible camera angle. Um, I hope that that new stand that they're building doesn't continue that. Let's just let's move through this quickly, lads, because we've got a lot to do. Tale of two halves, the proverbial tale of two halves. Uh, Milo, take the first half, if you would, and Luton, take the second half. Give us our brief run through. I thought we played quite well in the first half. I thought Fulham started really well, but after the first 10, 15 minutes, I thought we had uh, you know, control of the game and I thought we were by far and away the better team for the last kind of half an hour of the first half. I think Fulham, I, I, I like Fulham a lot, actually. I, I was impressed with them the last time we played them they're a really well organized side I think Scott Parker's done a fantastic job there after a really difficult start they had so I like them they're tough opponents as they've shown today but yeah I, I was happy with the first half uh, you know when we went in at half time I thought we were, we were worth our lead I, I was quite optimistic <laughs> second half I think today has really helped me on whatever insight I'm going to give you on Fulham um, I think the team that played us in the second half played Liverpool today for 90 minutes and it was, it was stunning results so that Fulham team um, they really they they were good that second half. I think players at Spurs didn't necessarily change or whatever. They just came out. They were organised. Loftus-Cheek really does know how to drive a ball. And they've got some good young players in there. They have Mitrovic, who's a thunder bastard, uh, and a handful of any bench who came on. And he'll constantly, he'll, he'll 
run your centre-backs ragged and push them about. But yeah, they've done superbly well again today against Liverpool. So that Fulham team are good. Scott Parker, somebody I've met and there's photo evidence of it. I did have my hand somewhere I shouldn't, but and he's, they're a team I'm fond of too. So yeah, um, yeah, we, we did fine. Getting a victory there was amazing. Yeah, he certainly has got the look of a man who's been goosed in Bista, hasn't he? <laughs> Title. <laughs> and and for the and for our listeners who think that we might be fumbling our words or fudging them here and there, no, we're not. You've heard every single word exactly as it was meant to be. The thing is, meeting a footballer who earns that much money in Bristol Village, it's, it's, it's an outlet place. I mean, I was stunned that he was there, but it, he was really, really it, game for him. It was an unfortunate angle in the photo, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so any uh, Tottenham Hots- any, any Tottenham Hotspur players coming across Luton, uh, obviously in these socially distant uh, days, you will give six feet, but I would recommend that for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Luton, I'm just going to conclude our Fulham, uh, our Fulham thing by saying, yeah, you know, I, I look, I, I, let's not make too much of Fulham's result today showing what a good club they are. I mean, I think one of the most disappointing aspects of our season is that we were unable to beat mid-table fodder like Liverpool, you know. I think that that's <laughs> worth noting. <laughs> So I, th- I think one thing I would say about um, Fulham is I thought they, you know, they upped the pace. They started the first half really, 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 really um, quickly, and and we struggled with it. And they upped the pace again in the in the second half. And I think that's that that that's the problem we had. And they're a real handful. I think they're a good team. I hope they stay up. Ricky, final Can word you, on Fulham. I was just going to say a uh, degree of Milo there. And what it appears to me that occasionally when we play these teams, they have good periods. They just look like well coached and better organised than we are, and it makes us look a bit uncoached and un organised and I think it's just their patterns of play are obviously better coached than we are and I just don't think um, and maybe we're going to look better now because we've got better players going forward and that but the other point I wanted to touch on that was Delhi playing in that role as the fourth man behind because I think that's worth talking about mm. and I thought what he did is he very much played in his what I would always perceive his niche position because I think he does his best position is a very niche position and it's playing within that kind of the, within the sideline within the sides of the penalty box and in that D area and I don't really want him coming back where Heiberg or Ndembele is and I don't want him out wide picking it up and then doing all that kind of thing we know where his best position is and luckily that's really going to work now if Kane wants to come behind him and then he goes forward and then vice versa and when you then add Sun and Bale in, the options there are just immense, basically. We could go I, places if that starts ticking. I thought Delhi had a really good game. What? Well, really good hour on Thursday. I think yeah, he, he did faded. Tire. Yeah, he yeah. faded in the second half. And that's like why I'm assuming he didn't play today. I hope he starts and I hope he gets 90 minutes under his belt on Thursday. I, I, it was He was excellent in for, the, for that hour. Yeah, it was nice to see him return. And so, uh, again, uh, we, we've concluded another great week for the club as we continue our renaissance uh, and, you know, recharge towards top four and quite possibly a trophy or two, it has to be said. We're going to segue into an aspect of the game which is probably, it's probably over the, the decades done a lot to shape us as fans and, uh, you know, in many cases might have been a gateway drug for getting into football for even some of our younger supporters and that is the football TV program Ian St John passed away at the start of March at the age of 82 and I remember him being probably part of the first fully formed football program if you don't include the cup final days that used to be you know on the BBC and ITV but you know St John was part of the St Greavesy which started on ATV which was a regional ITV station in 1985 on Saturday lunchtimes ostensibly as competition to 
to the BBC Football Focus, uh, but it was quite animated and quite fun. And, uh, you know, the Guardian said St. John was like Ernie Wise to Greaves' Eric Walken, which I thought was quite good. And uh, and it really did sort of birth this, you know, it was the beginning of a whole new realm uh, of, of football. And ironically, when uh, Sky charged in to take the premiership rights, it seemed to kick everything into another gear. You had Football Gazetta on Channel 4, you had Badil and Skinner, uh, you had the football's boot room on Sky, which was hosted by Andy Gray. And you had Soccer AM, which was hosted by uh, Helen Chamberlain and the Tim Lovejoy. Guys, it's, you know, let, let's start with a simple question. And we'll, I'll start with you, Milo. What was your favourite football TV programme growing up and why? I love football, football Italia. Watching Richardson get progressively more Italian as the weeks go by amused my brother and I no end. Did you ever figure out what they were saying? Because it was like, I think someone else said in the chat during the week that they thought it was goal Lazio. And that's what I thought as well. Oh, being... That's the chorus. Oh, I no, didn't no, it's not. That's what it wasn't it is, though, was right? it? No, it's not. It's something else because I found the song. I can't. But what was it? There it is. That's what. That's it. Was it exactly? Okay. So Gareth has come in from the lounge. Golazzo direct this great goal. Mm. Yeah, Golazzo. That's what it was, wasn't it? But I used to do it. Did you not? Did you not, Milo? Used to like sort of just walk around humming that tune. It's such a tune. I went digging for it a year ago just so as I could listen to it again and remember that time of Gaza and like you know. I mean, it was it was it was fun wasn't it so you've got all this talk of italian football has got me thinking back to the uh 1990 uh world cup and i'm, I'm thinking of pop will eat itself's classic uh touched by the hands of chickie which was the, <laughs> their world cup song and um which has got nothing to do with football on tv but that's where you've taken my no, mind no it has everything to do with football on tv actually and uh ricky or luton uh, follow me back me up on this point i would argue that it was gaza an Italian 90 that caused Sky to want to buy the rights and that yeah. caused football to become sexy again. When Gaza cried in that semi-final, I don't think there was a dry eye in any British house household. He, he yeah. changed the way we look at football. You Certainly if you look at kind of attendances at uh, football, 80s, early 90s, they, they were low, weren't they? You know, it's it, it's not a, like we're seeing now where, you know, you have to buy up tickets, uh, you know, weeks or months in advance in order to get in. You turn up on the gate and get in because it wasn't very popular. And you, I think you're right. I think, uh, was Gasco in the first... I'm trying to think about kind of stars who break out break out beyond beyond people who are into the sport. I mean, I, I think you probably, probably well, argue... Kevin Lin- Keegan... You- Kevin Lin- Keegan Lineker probably well. did it because Kevin Kevin Keegan did superstars in the mid seventies. Yeah. If you guys remember that seventy yeah. seven, do you remember he tore his shoulder up falling off this bike when he went uh, on some like running track? I never I never forget that. But he Wasn't, was he he went that. for it, but he just wasn't. It's was brilliant player Keegan. But he wasn't Paul Gascoigne. Gascoigne might have been the first real personality, mm. right? Gaza was special. I mean, there's there literally you can't compare. Ga- the guy is just something else. I mean, but he just he made he made the up, purity of the man after. Five years of being trapped in this hooligan vacuum, whereby from, you know, from Heisel to the Italian 90, basically Margaret Thatcher declared war on football and, and, and football was, was not cool. Mm. Gascoigne, I, I swear, when Gascoigne cried that night, 
and everything mm. he did in that World Cup, he made football, he, he bought it to people who'd never thought about it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was going to make the point about hooliganism. And I think maybe what you're seeing here is a number of different things come together because you've got club culture and, you know, raves and what have you coming in here as well. And, you know, what fans were into was very, very different around this time. And I think maybe some of these programs we're talking about, Satan Greaves is probably different to that because it's a bit, yeah, you know, Saturday night at the London Palladium rather than yes. you know, some of the things we're talking about here. A lot of these programs are a bit more fan led, they're a bit more DIY, they're a bit more kind of fanzine culture. No, you're talking about Badil and Skinner uh, on BBC Two in 1994. It's a perfect example of what you're saying. Would you not agree, guys? Perfect example of what Milo's saying. So I'll talk about sort of what Badil and Skinner were to me in general in terms of football. But the, And the person that's missed out a lot with fantasy football is Statter. So there was a guy on Badil and Skinner on fantasy football called Statter who I absolutely fucking love. I mean, he's a legend. <laughs> he, he looked the right way. Angus looked from, um, And he was such a good part of it. And there's some things about Badil and Skinner, particularly, and I, I have to say this, they've never reached out to Jason Lee and apologised for what mm-hmm. they did to him. They have apologised for blackface. But um, there was some shit stuff that they did but mm-hmm. as a child then and innocently it was i loved it i had so much fun watching it um the stat bit was amazing um so what people don't realize is steph dresses up like that every week when he reads out the xg scores <laughs> <laughs> you know what this is why we can never go to video because these secrets should not be revealed <laughs> it's the whole point of not going to video is so as i can I, dress up like that I, if you're just going to rumble it every week where's the fun but yeah i mean let's let's talk a little bit about the, the I, I love this sort of what you're saying milo about the the culture and and we're talking about I was talking about people falling back in love with football um, I mean you know Badil and Skinner felt to me fantasy football especially when they reenacted the goals they had that brilliant moment mm. where they reenacted the uh, the Cabeus goal for Peru against Scotland and they basically had some you know a couple of blokes in red striped lager like you know can suits if you remember that it was so funny and I just I looked at that and I thought mm. wow finally mm. there's a football show that actually reminds me a little bit of Tiz was which for those mm. of you who remember was uh, was a, you know an absolutely mental Saturday morning kids show that I, I was not really a kids show. It was just bonkers. Uh, but it had a, a sort of chaotic Tizwazi vibe. You know, it was laddie, right? Was it the right side of lad or the wrong yeah. side of lad? No, I, I think so. I think it did, didn't the audience sort of sit in sofas facing Badil and Skinner and they sat on the sofa as well. And I think they drank beer, they cracked beers and were drinking that on screen. And as you say, the, the thing I used to love about Stato was he was so deadpan. I couldn't work out whether he was dead pan or thick skinned because he would still carry on his task did he wear like some kind of um dressing gown thing didn't he yes he wore a dressing gown was that the same year as loaded magazine i suppose and that kind of thing yeah around the same time around the same time would have been wouldn't it so i think people kind of embraced that kind of thing more and as you say steph maybe we were coming out we were definitely um coming out of the kind of hooligan era at that stage and maybe people were finding football more entertaining again yeah i was just wondering we'll say uh the, my pop release itself reference maybe that was wrong and maybe it's actually new order is the you know again for football italia and maybe, maybe that's the changing point and that certainly there's the you know the crossover with club culture there as well isn't there yeah that was yeah. a i mean in ser- seriously that iconic. was a, a a bit of a an iconic crossover for sure uh, we then got soccer am which was a ramp up from everything are any of these programs do any of these programs mean anything to us i mean are we delaying our going to games so as we can catch an hour of these shows at this point of a, of a saturday who wants to come in on soccer am maybe i'm a bit too old for it and you mentioned tis was with with fantasy football i think soccer am was swap shop or going live and lovejoy you know if we talk about kind of modern football then lovejoy 
is everything I hate about modern football. He's a man who switched clubs, which means he's not a football fan. And the shape of everything now in terms of football programming and uh, television, is it, it, it shifted considerably. And I think obviously the internet's had a massive impact on that. You know, we're going to much, we're going to much more fan-based content than ever before. These shows started as quote-unquote fan-based content, but we've gone to a whole new level. Two questions for you here. Do we feel that football magazine program content is more reflected in podcasts? And is there a future for fan TV, you know, or have the likes of AFTV, you know, just really stuffed that where it's just like basically an hour of of, of ranting and raving and shouting and people looking and and ridiculing uh, others? AFTV is really popular with fans of other clubs. Schadenfreude TV in it, basically. Yeah, I, I love it after they've lost. You wouldn't want to be stuck in a lift with any of them, would you? In the notes I put, whether you know, asked the question whether the Bat Peter Crouch podcast is the kind of modern equivalent of Saint Increasy. I think it's a step on from that. I think actually, for me, that Peter Crouch podcast is probably the single most entertaining bit of football programming out there. Because what he's managed to do is he's managed to completely colloquialize prof- a professional footballer's life and make me feel that I'm sitting with him, having a chat with him. And and to that point, his co-hosts are excellent too because mm-hmm. they don't cower to him. It feels like a very level playing field, and they. Talk talk about normal stuff as well as football stuff it's it's really brilliantly done and and it's the chemistry again so for me i'd like to see more programming of that nature rather than the more confrontational nature that some punditry is going down i was just going to ask the question whether we thought a program like fantasy football could work now i i saw a tweet earlier in the week from um a guy called Tom Worsley, who's, I think he's a comedy writer for BBC Scotland, so apologies I've got that wrong, where he did a tweet pitching a few ideas. And the last one on there was revamp fantasy football league with uh, Ellis James and Josh Widdicombe. I saw that, I thought, yeah, that could work. I think Josh Widdicombe's 90s football podcast is excellent. What do you guys think? It absolutely would work if they got the right people doing it. So you're right, yeah, if you get, it'd be, it'd be very, very funny and there'd be an audience for it. No doubt about it. I'd watch it. I agree. There's definitely room for content like that. Okay. I think that, I mean, an interesting, uh, an interesting place to end this particular segment of the pod. And I think we should just round up actually by reminding everyone that on Thursday, March the 11th in North London at N17, the new White Hart Lane, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, call it what you will. We are playing Dinamo Zagreb in the last 16 of the Europa League. Very briefly, expectations for this first leg. Let's make this really quick. And uh, we'll start with you, Milo. We've got to expect to go through this. I think uh, I think they're a step up from the opposition we've played in so far. But I'm hoping that we can do a little bit of rotation. So I think with uh, Ndombele st- sitting out today, I'm hoping that maybe he comes back into the side, but Hoybier sits out. I'd hope that I'd like Kane and Bale to sit out Thursday. But otherwise, you know, a strong side. And I would expect Dyer to come into defence probably in place of Alderweireld, probably Captain Davis again. I expect us to go through, but I think we'll see a little rotation, but maybe not quite so much as we've seen last time round. Luton? Just having a look at their results, they've won their last eight. And I think six of them without conceding. So they're not in poor form. I mean, I, I know they play interesting teams in their league, but still they're, they're, they seem to be defensively sound. They've done well in Europe. So I don't think we take it lightly. I think the bench will be packed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we start with players like Deli Ali and players who haven't played today to maybe get more minutes. Maybe Vinicius even starts, which I know will make Milo happy because I think we both agree we want to see Kane on the bench for the beginning of that game. So yeah, I think it's one we have to win. But just looking right now quickly at their results recently, they're bang on form. Um, they're a good team. Um, they're doing well in their league. So yeah, let's, so yeah. Um, hopefully we we can win. Ricky, I think another four goals. We're going to bang another four goals in. We're going to go early for it, and we're going to take players off. I think we'll play a very. I think we'll play a strong team personally, and he'll hopefully do the rotation within that game. I think we're on a roll. 
We're just going to smash them from the off. We're at home. We're I'm, good at home at the moment. I'm have with we you. got five subs again as well, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. we have. Yeah, Huge I'm, I'm with Ricky. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna win three one. Actually, that's my prediction. And I think again, he's going to go strong at the beginning and rotate out as the game goes on. I completely agree. We've got we've got another bite at this a week later. I don't. We don't need to start um, strong against no. this one. It's more important that we rest players. So they're fresh first. Sunday and then we can go if we need to chase them we can chase them the following the following Thursday absolutely I'm with you Ricky I still think you're wrong I think we go strong at the beginning and we win 3-1 I agree and with that fine uh, note with that fine note of God is that what you think Mourinho will do or is that what you would do yeah I think think Mourinho will do that yeah I think it's a bit more based on what Mourinho would do yeah then no, everyone thought understand the everyone thought of the North London derby. I mean, that's no, true. no, 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 guys. Come on, everyone, ev- guys. Everyone thought he would rest Gareth Bale today, and he didn't, right? So that means he'll rest he's him not. on Thursday. No, no. He's, he's not playing in he's full games. Give you... That's how he's going to do it. Yeah, he's he's going to give him like sixty-minute games. Absolutely. Honestly, it's Absolutely. the new way forward, Milo. We've got to get the Holy Trinity on all the time. It's going you to see, Milo. What you, Milo, what you've got to understand, mate, is when you've learned how comfortable the drive is with the handbrake off. <laughs> so much. let's draw it to a conclusion guys uh a lively one uh underscored i think by a, a you know a growing sense of positivity i mean i have to say that the mood is has been greatly improved in the last few weeks and this pod this latest pod is just a reflection of it i think we're all feeling a lot happier about tottenham life uh, we'll be back in a week to go back over both the zagreb and goon games let's not forget we do play the gooners at the Death Star on Sunday, March 14th at 4.30, Greenwich Mean Time. And with it being my birthday the following day, I'm expecting the hand. I'm expecting us to win. And I don't mind. A KG one goal victory is fine. I don't mind how it happens. As Al Davis, the famous uh, American football coach for the Oakland Raiders said, just win, baby. So we'll be back in a week to go back over both as a Greb and Goon games, as I just said. In the meantime, if you're jonesing, for some of the game is about glory, be sure to visit our archives, particularly our February review show, which will give you a comprehensive overview on what went on at the club last month. Don't forget, if you like this pod, please help us spread the word by telling your mates, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by saying nice things about us on Twitter or wherever you hang out online. You can find us on Twitter at GameIsAboutGloryPod and on Instagram, we are the Game is about Glory. Please give us a follow and say hello. As always, guys, thanks very much indeed. See you later. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph. Steph. And see everyone else next week. Bye-bye.